All right, we are now live streaming on the Gestalt IT YouTube channel. So hello out there to all of our audience members. Uh, we are happy that you are joining us on this beautiful, wonderful August Wednesday. Uh, I believe it's still August, right? Or did we go back to April? Uh, I lost count. No, I don't know. There's there's no such thing as months after March. <laughs> exactly. It's just 2020 is one long month. So, But uh, we're happy that you're here joining us for our weekly show. Um, you know me, Tom Hollingsworth. Hopefully, you know my uh, my beautiful counterpart over here, Stephen. Um, we've we've been doing this a while, but uh, we'll we're going to go ahead and get started here in just a minute. This is kind of the uh, the short little preview for people who enjoy watching the show. Um, but we are going to go ahead and kick off our show right now. So. <clears throat> Hello, happy National Soft Ice Cream Day, and welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown, where each time we meet on Wednesday afternoons, we run down the IT news of the week. My name is Tom Hollingsworth. I am the host of this show, and joining me this week is my wonderful co-host, Mr. Stephen Foskett. Stephen, thank you for joining the show today. Hello, Mr. Hollingsworth. It's great to be here. I mean, a little sad because we don't have Mr. Rich anymore, but, um, you know, I'll have to do somehow. Yeah, well, Rich will always be here in spirit and also physically because we've chained him to a desk in the basement and he'll still be working for us for the rest of his life. Yep. But, you know, yep. Parts of his body do? are in the freezer. <laughs> we'll leave it up to you to decide which ones. All right. Well, we are going to go ahead and get started and kick off our first item of the week with news or nah. This is the segment where we look at all the news that's been going on and we decide if this is even worth talking about or if we're just gonna give it a pass. So we'll get to our first item here today. The Mozilla Foundation, which produces the popular Firefox browser, announced last week that it is cutting 250 of its 1,000 staff members. The reported reason was significantly reduced revenue. A reported deal with Google that bundles their search engine as the default in Firefox, which has been producing the majority of the revenue for the Mozilla Foundation for the past few years, has not been renewed. The contract, which is set to expire in November, is not going to be renewed by Google at this time. Mozilla's 2018 revenue was $435 million. That's not easy to replace. The foundation has tried to diversify all of their income by pushing their new VPN product inside of Firefox in an effort to kind of get away from that non-Google cash flow. Uh, Mozilla said that this move was intended to help the foundation, quote unquote, live within its means for 2020. Stephen, Mozilla's shutting staff to get lean. Is this news or no? Well, it's news. Um, it's not good news, but it's news. Uh, Thanks, Mozilla. Honestly, um, I got to say, these are this is a great technology. It's great people. It's a great browser. I love what they've done. But what happens when your entire revenue model is chained to Google? Well, this is what happens. Sorry. I, and, and by all accounts, I hear that the VPN product is awesome, by the way. We're hoping that the Mozilla folks can pull through this, mostly because I want a non-Chromium browser out there. All right, moving on. Um, according to a report, the United States Secret Service has decided to go outside of the box to track credit card fraudsters. They purchased data from a company called Babel Street, which has a product they call Locate X. Locate X takes anonymized data from a number of popular apps that many users have installed on their cell phones, probably including you right now. They aggregate that data and provide a history of the movement of that device. 
Boy, that sounds real wonderful. U.S. Customs and Border Protection had a contract back in March to provide very similar data. And this disclosure came in a Freedom of Information Act from the U.S. Secret Service. Stephen, the Secret Service is tracking suspected criminals, but they don't have a warrant. Does this qualify as news? Um, this is one of those things where annoying people on the Internet always say, well, duh, of course they do that. Don't you know that the government is checking us at all times? And people who are thoughtful on the Internet be like, well, you know, you know, we kind of think that, but we kind of don't want to believe it. And now we find out that it's true and that kind of sucks. Um, by the way, if you're one of those, well, actually, people, um, just stick it. Um, yeah, this is news and this is terrifying. Yeah, I, I, I don't like non-judicial attempts to track me by any department of the government, let alone the people who are authorized to hurt me. All right. Um, something a little happier, I guess. Uh, the shambling zombie that is Microsoft's Internet Explorer may finally be getting, be getting close to the end of, well, whatever life it has left. This week, Microsoft announced that it is going to drop support for Teams in IE 11 starting on November 30th. In addition, the Office 365 suite and all, all 365-based apps will no longer work on IE as of August 17th, 2021. So that's 363 days from now. Microsoft has tried to move users to their Edge browser, which is based on Chromium, since 2015. Uh, but they left Internet Explorer installed by default in Windows 10. And well, let's be fair, if it's there, people are going to use it. Um, IE slowly being put out to pasture again, News or not, nah, Stephen? <laughs> well, it's news, but it's news from two years from now. Um, yeah. No, I, honestly, it's hilarious. Everybody likes to criticize Apple. Like, hey, they took off the ADB ports and put only USB. Or they got rid of floppy drives. Or, you know, they got rid of USB-A and now it's all USB-C and Apple sucks. Well, you know what? It pushes things forward. And then now we're learning what happens when you don't push things forward, when you don't um, sunset things when you put it sunset things like three years from now or whatever it is. I, 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 yes, get rid of it. Goodbye, IE. Nice knowing you. Upgrade. Yeah, I, I have a feeling that when we finally manage to get it put out to pasture, the world will be a better place. All right. Oh, Canada. Over the weekend, the oh. Canadian Revenue Agency disclosed that it was forced to shut down one of its online portals due to a cyber attack. Unknown persons turned an entire botnet on the portal and attempted a credential stuffing attack aimed at harvesting usernames and passwords to mine the personal data of the users of the service. And since this is a Canadian revenue agency, I'm pretty sure they were going to have a lot of targets. Um, the attackers did manage to compromise around 11,000 accounts before the admins were able to take the portal offline. And in talking to the head of Canada's Center for Cybersecurity, they said that the attack succeeded because rolling the dice, users like to reuse passwords. Turns out that if you had a strong, unique password, like the one you can use in a password manager, you held up on this attack. So tapping the Maple Leaf country for some sweet, sweet personal data, Stephen, uh, is this news? Well, you know, honestly, this stuff happens all the time. I don't see why this is news. Everybody should know about this. Everybody knows that hackers are... No, it's news. It's news. Honestly, come on, people. Make this thing work. You just lost all the... I mean, it... Uh, uh, well, actually, you know... No, it's news. I say it's news. What do you think? Is it news? 
Yeah, I, I think it's news mostly because, well, first of all, we, we do have to have a security breach story on here somewhere. It's it's kind of a requirement at this point. But I think also that it's a botnet that was used to do credential harvesting. Uh, but props to the Canadian government for catching it quickly enough that they were able to get it shut down before it became a mess. So, you know, here's hoping that the uh, this does not become the new style of things, because I, I'd just rather see botnets ride off into the sunset and never be seen again. All right, Stephen, I know you're on that. You're a social media maven, and I'm sure you have all of the accounts. Uh, how's your TikTok account looking? Oh, man, my TikTok is so elite. Um, I actually set it to private, and I don't have any followers, and no one can see it because you couldn't handle my TikTok. Well, you know who else can't handle TikTok is the U.S. federal government because they announced that TikTok must be sold to U.S. company within the next 90 days, or they're going to ban it. Well, the current front runner to take over the reins from ByteDance is Microsoft. Never let, one to let a good thing go unchallenged. Friend of the show, Larry Ellison, has decided to jump feet first into this mess. The Financial Times has reported that Oracle has been talking to ByteDance about purchasing the operations of the app in the US, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. There have been other tech companies that have been rumored to have interest, including Twitter, but the common wisdom is that Microsoft has enough cash on hand that they're going to be able to pull this off, but leave it to Oracle to decide to upset the apple cart. They are known for throwing cash at problems to try and stay on top of everything that's going on. And according to reports, there may actually be some play for them as far as data analysis and harvesting of all of the TikTok users to help augment their cloud service. And Lord knows Oracle Cloud needs all the help that it can get. Is Larry trying to sail under the radar here and snap up, snap up the hottest social media site of 2020? Or are we seeing Oracle attempting to stay relevant once again and failing miserably? I don't even know what to say. I'm sorry, but can you imagine Oracle owning TikTok? Um, I mean, wow. Um, just wow. Uh, I, I honestly, my feeling is that this is Larry Ellison just trying to get Microsoft to pay a little extra just for for giggles. Yeah, and the rumor is honestly that Oracle's just trying to drive up the price because the more money that Microsoft spends on TikTok, the less money they have to spend on Azure. But I mean, what are they gonna do? Integrate it with LinkedIn because then I can like make little dance videos trying to get people to connect with me and uh, share my personal network. Um, just so you know, if I do make a dance video, that will be the end of times because I can't dance. I wanna see your dance video, Tom. I wanna see your TikTok. Yeah. Good, good call there. Um, well, that should just about do it for News or Nah. Uh, let's move on to some of our other more exciting stories down here in the rest of the thing. And well, okay, we're gonna come right back to TikTok. Uh, so continuing our block here, there's a report from the Wall Street Journal that states that TikTok has been exploiting a loophole in Google's privacy requirements for applications to harvest MAC addresses for the last 15 months. The hole has been known to Google and they haven't patched it. Now, TikTok reportedly stopped collecting these MAC addresses all the way back in November and admits in a public statement that their app no longer collects this kind of information. The issue was, it was very difficult to detect because according to reports that we've seen on Reddit and other places, TikTok likes to increase the amount of encryption in all of the things that its component parts do to obfuscate everything that it does and all of the data that it collects. And once you start pulling things apart, you're, you're almost kind of horrified. Given the recent focus on TikTok with the sale and the fact that people believe that it's a privacy problem and all of these other things, 
is the collection of MAC addresses kind of surreptitiously by the app just one more drop in the bucket of security problems? Or is this going to be a harbinger of something much more sinister? Because according to TikTok, they collect much less data than Facebook and other very popular applications. Well, you know, Tom, every app collects all sorts of data all the time. And if you're not understanding this, then you just really don't know how things work. Actually, this is no big deal at all. No, I, I think this is a, this is a big deal. Um, this is and and it's just another example of um, it. It reminds me in a way of the Apple like uh, like copying the clipboard thing. You know, it could be just bad programming or it could be nefarious. Um, I think the only thing that's going to save us is honestly something else that Apple's doing with the Mac address randomization that's built into the new versions of iOS and and Mac OS. Um, I think things like that could actually really make a difference. Unfortunately, they would also kill a lot of location awareness features in wireless APs that are actually kind of useful or kind of creepy, depending on your perspective. But um, yeah, I um, wow. Um, you know, let's just pile on Tic Tac. Um, did you know that it also causes seizures? I'm just going to say that. You know what? At this point, I would believe it. Um, I also read a report that in the latest beta of Apple's iOS that they have removed the MAC address randomization feature because of pushback that they've gotten from people in the community. Uh, now, that doesn't mean it's not going to go away forever. It'll probably come back at some point in the future or maybe in a later release. But this is a huge problem for privacy advocates, because as soon as you have a MAC address, you can tie that phone to any advertiser ID, no matter what you can do. You can reset the ID 100 times. And as long as I know where your physical device is, you know, that's a huge deal. Adding on the fact that TikTok has been known to create super cookies and GPS tracking things to find you wherever you are. And I'm sure that if the US federal government really wanted to bring the hammer down on them, it wouldn't take much to, to make that happen. Hammer down. Yeah. All right, let's let's get inside the computer. Let's talk about some chips. So during the hot chips conference last week, Intel announced Tofino 2, which is the newest update to their processor uh, that was acquired when they purchased Barefoot Networks uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, the latest offering is a smoking 12.9 terabits per second capable chip, fully programmable using the P4 programming language developed in part by Barefoot and offered to the community. Uh, it is also built on a seven nanometer process, which surprises me considering all the trouble that Intel's had with seven nanometer as of late. Um, in the, as in the past, the focus on Tofino is for high speed switching with the ability to be fully programmable to meet the needs of workloads in the data center as they change. Now, of course, because it's a chip, first thing that everybody wants to talk about is AI, but the flexibility of the platform really could lend itself to a variety of other applications. Um, does this latest release mean that Intel is going to start diving back into the programmable switch market with help from Barefoot Networks? Or are they really looking to do something different, like maybe unseating Broadcom in the merchant silicon space and basically being a dealer to everybody else out there? Yeah, I'm really excited by this. I know that you and I, Tom, at Tech Field Day, we were um, at the initial launch of Broadcom or of Barefoot, um, you know, I will speak for myself in saying that that is a phenomenal team of people. Um, Go back and look at the Tech Field Day presentations from Barefoot Networks before Intel acquired them, and you'll just have one of those whoa moments. And um, now that Intel has acquired them, I mean, the team has stayed strong. The team has found a good position within Intel. Um, this is powerful right here because really what it is is Intel establishing, I guess, like an x86 for the data center on the um, 
on the IO side of things. You know, I mean, P4 is incredible. The Tofino platform is incredible. This is an incredible advancement. Um, I'm just overall just super thrilled to see this. And absolutely, this is Intel's play to kind of own data center communications. And I think they could. Um, yeah. This is this is just a huge, huge move forward. Yeah, and I think that that's another thing too, that a lot of what we see here is it, it, we know that companies are making super fast chips. That's just what they do. And, and all chipset manufacturers, if it doesn't get bigger and faster, then it, it doesn't really matter. But, but Intel has an ace in the hole with P4 and this full programmability that they're offering. I mean, when you look at the fact that P4 has actually been updated and modified and leveraged to do things like uh, from Pensando, uh, which is another company that's presented recently at Tech Field Day, um, they're trying to make this language completely extensible to do a variety of things. Just so happens that the horsepower they're sticking in this switch can run it flat out as fast as possible. And I think that that's gonna be a huge thing for people in the, um, in the market. Now, a question that just came in from George Shea is, do you feel like that the delays in the seven nanometer process that Intel's having could affect the output of Tofino? Uh, yeah, I will eat my hat if this is Intel's seven nanometer process. I am sure that this is TSMC manufacturing this for Intel because Intel doesn't have that technology. They just don't. And maybe it's time for Intel to just get out of the fab space entirely because um, they're, you know, delay, delay, delay. I feel like they should just throw in the towel on this. Um, I mean, we already saw them uh, talking about using TSMC for other chips. Uh, you know, other, you know, Intel, uh, you know, farming out other things for them. The XE processors, the graphics processors that were also showed at hot chips are um, TSMC seven nanometer. Um, and I mean, that that thing is just so good already. And it's so far ahead of Intel. Uh, you know, personally, I just bought a Ryzen nine. Uh, man, that thing flies uh, and it's built on that same process. So, yeah, um, I think Intel is unless they unless they can somehow make it happen i think they might just have to throw in the towel on on the whole seven nanometer conventional chip world and 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 hope that they can move into something in the future i mean hope that they can find some other use uh, or some other way to remain competitive there yeah i think that that's probably the case that we're going to run into and and i think you're absolutely right this is tsmc because the the pipeline for this chip was started before the acquisition that that is yeah. almost a guarantee all right. Um, speaking of other processor news, also during hot chips, uh, IBM announced the latest generation of their power CPU line. Uh, power 10 has been designed over the last five years. It's their first seven nanometer process chip. Uh, it's leaner and meaner from a power consumption standpoint, as always, but it also can accelerate cryptography by up to 40% because some of the cores in the chip are dedicated to doing AES calculations. Also included on the spec list are things like container protection via hardware and isolation to protect VM intrusions inside the chip. Uh, target market for Power 10 is, of course, AI and data, data analytics, as all chips are now. But given the decline of Intel that we just talked about with their whole problem with their seven nanometer process and the fact that SoftBank is looking to offload ARM, uh, does this mean that IBM may be able to jump back into the fray and carve out just a little bit of a niche? Or is Power 10 going to be powering down in uh, IBM's chipsets? Power 10 is a supercomputer chip, man. HPC. It's uh, it's great. Um, people love it. Um, it's got a lot of footprint. Um, it's fine. Uh, we don't need to... It doesn't need to rule the world. Um, I'm actually... Um, you know, you're talking about uh, ARM... I'm actually excited too about uh, Marvell's uh, Thunder X3 that they showed. Um, you know, you're talking about uh, 
a world where we have a bunch of you know arm uh, alternatives as well. Um, you know, from the from the Thunder, but also from uh, you know some of the uh, some of the other competitors out there uh, in the arm space, especially um, uh, the Ampere Ultra and Ultra Max. Um, I, I feel like there's just so much cool innovation going on in, out there in HPC. And I mean, clearly, you know, x86 is sort of, I guess, chugging along. Um, you know, AMD has been doing some great stuff. Like I mentioned, Intel's honestly been doing some good stuff as well with the Xeons and the parallel processing there. And um, I just think there's, there's, there's an opening here. We don't need to have everything be x86. It doesn't even need to, everything need to be ARM. And the, the power is, uh, the power tends really, really neat. Yeah, I think you're absolutely spot on. IBM is not looking to sell this into the desktop market, and they're not even really looking to sell it into a very broad market. They have a very specific idea in mind, kind of like NVIDIA. Um, you will never know that this chip is running in your system, but you will use it every day in some form or another. And props to IBM for going back to their, their chipset roots, because a lot of the talk has been about the Red Hat acquisition and kind of transforming Tom Watson's IBM into something that is a little bit more... Um, agile today. Sorry, we had a little video hiccup there on my side, maybe. Okay. Um, moving on to our next story. Um, Pure Storage announced last week that they're teaming up with Cohesity with a new joint offering called Flash Recover. Uh, this brings all flash storage array specialists together with the secondary storage darlings at Cohesity to provide Pure's first non-primary storage offering. Another aspect of Flash Recover is that it uses Pure's other platform, the Flash Blade, and can help grow the market overall. Um, Pure has been known for building the fastest storage arrays out there, and Cohesity has always been known for their software and their ability to kind of, uh, you know, invade that secondary storage market, Stephen. You're the storage expert. We're here at Gestalt IT. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what this means? Yeah, this is um, this is cool. Um, you know, secondary storage is basically a, a market for things like data protection and malware recovery, but also, um, you know, DevOps automation of, uh, you know, data pipelines. Um, and the problem, though, is that traditionally storage systems have tried to introduce more like up the stack features, but they haven't really been able to because they're storage systems. And it's actually really hard to do this. It's kind of like, you know, it's analogous to Intel, um, you know, kind of trying to reach up the stack from the CPU or from the NPU or whatever. Um, because it's, you know, it takes a lot of expertise and a lot of time and a lot of energy to build the bottom layer. Um, you know, it's hard to actually add the other layers as well. Um, by teaming up with Cohesity, uh, just like they teamed up with, um, you know, Cisco, for example, with their stack, I think Pure is actually making the right move here. Instead of trying to compete with Cohesity and Rubrik and a lot of these other, you know, secondary storage darlings, they, they get the, all their work for free, basically, by, um, you know, kind of pulling it into a stack solution. And the Cohesity solution is really, really neat. Some of the things that it can do, for example, is it can automatically, um, you know, anonymize data sets. So if you've got like a database with a bunch of like, you know, customer account and PII and stuff like that in it, um, you can make a snap with this flash recover for development and it'll automatically like mask all that data for you. Um, things like that are just super cool. And um, by if Pure had come out of the gate and said like, oh, like we're gonna enable like DevOps workflows or something, and they didn't have that technology, I'd be like, yeah, no, you're not. Like that's that's like five years of effort. 
that you are you need to make now. But by teaming up with somebody, it makes a lot of sense. It means that Pure gets to stick with what they do well, which is storage, and they also get to have a new market. And then that's the other angle here. The flash blade is sort of the, um, well, I likened it in this article, kind of like the pickup truck. So if their primary storage is sort of like the family sedan, you know, a pickup truck is still useful and has a lot of market for it, but it's not for everybody. And that's kind of the situation with Flashblade. This gives them a way to sell Flashblade into more customers that maybe don't even know that they need it or maybe don't even need it because it pairs it with something they do need and gives them an additional market. So I think this is just a good move all the way around. Yeah, I would agree there that this is this is finding a good way to market new vehicles to people, pickup truck or otherwise, and it gives them a lot of opportunity. Plus, you know, given the state of everything that's been going on, uh, if you don't have a backup disaster recovery secondary storage uh, plan in mind, uh, now would be a good time to allocate some of that office budget to buying one. So if you want to yeah, learn more about the, this, isn't just the the pandemic of COVID. It's also the pandemic of malware. I don't know if you've noticed that. But, oh, my gosh, there are so many malware attacks out there right now. Yeah. Um, if you want to read a little bit more about this story, head over to gestaltit.com and see Stephen's thoughts on it. And uh, leave a comment if you have an opinion on that. Uh, we're going to go ahead and drop down to our last story for the day. Our friends over at Blocks and Files scooped Dell and Liquid's deal to bring together composability to Dell's MX7000 platform. The Liquid technology will enable Dell to better compete in the AI and ML space using GPUs, FPGAs, OMG, WTF, BBQs, and Optane SSDs accessible over PCIe in a flexible manner. Liquid brings a PCI expansion uh, chassis, enabling up to 20 full-size GPUs to be added to the MX7000 mix. Man, that's a lot of letters and numbers. Liquid is a favorite here at Gestalt IT, and we've loved the MX7000 since they launched it two years ago. It's great seeing these two technologies brought together. Stephen, I know that composable infrastructure has been a hot topic in the data center now, especially as we kind of play data center against the, the ease of use of the cloud. What does Dell and Liquid coming together help us do? Well, um, I think it's interesting because these were ostensibly competitors. And when Dell launched the uh, MX7000 platform, I think a lot of people would have put Liquid as one of Dell's competitors in that space. But um, by bringing Liquid in, I think that it shows that Dell recognizes, kind of like pure and cohesity in a way, um, you know, Dell recognizes that they need um, you know, additional expertise here. Um, just for what it's worth, so composable infrastructure is basically the ability to kind of disaggregate the server itself and have sort of a PCIe network with um, you know, various aspects, whether it's storage or GPUs or CPUs or memory or whatever, and kind of pull that all back together. A lot of people are familiar with like the HPE synergy and all that kind of stuff. Um, the MX7000 is basically Dell's approach to that as well. And this um, tie-up uh, gives them a lot of capability in that space. And I think this is a pretty exciting, exciting area. I mean, the Liquid team is really solid people. Um, you know, by bringing it to Dell, that's that's really cool. And it's important to note too here that this is a scoop. Um, I have a feeling that uh, this is something that Dell and Liquid were going to announce maybe at some point in the future. But Mr. Molohar found it. Uh, nice job there. Um, in a official Dell, um, you know, solution document and managed to kind of suss out the details of this thing. So typically we're not breaking news here and we would never break an embargo, but... Uh, Hey, go talk to Chris Malore. He found it and he put it on blocks and files. So it's it's pretty neat to think that they're going to do this. 
Um, my big question is, is this a prelude to an acquisition of Liquid by Dell? And I don't know that that's the case. I certainly don't suspect that that's the case necessarily, but, um, but it could be. And if Dell is ready to admit that they need help on composable infrastructure and uh, they're ready to tie up with a third party like Liquid, well, maybe it is. And let me tell you, that's a great team of people. They've got great technology and Dell would, uh, well, they could do a lot worse than, than bring them into the, into the fold. Yeah, and I think that makes a whole lot of sense for Dell because they're still seen as a traditional data center vendor as most people are starting to look at, well, do I go to Amazon? Do I go to Microsoft? Or do I keep it here? Dell is a company that has a lot of uh, track record in doing that. And so if they're going to introduce new technology to the market through a partnership with a company like Liquid, putting the Dell stamp on it kind of, you know, gives people a little bit more ease. You're not going to deploy untested, even if it's not the case. You're not going to deploy untested or unknown technology into your data center, especially if there's somebody around the corner going, hey, why don't we just move this all to Amazon and pay them a huge amount of money every month? All right. Well, that should just about do it for this week's run through the news. Remember that we, our Gestalt IT rundown is available as a podcast as well as live on YouTube as you're watching us here every Wednesday at 1230 Eastern Standard Time. Uh, the YouTube channel, if you're watching somewhere else, is youtube.com slash Gestalt IT video. We're also going to post this up on our Facebook page. So hi to all of our Facebook audience. You can find that at facebook.com slash Gestalt IT. We will be back next Wednesday, same bat time, same bat channel to talk about IT news of the week. Um, Stephen, where can people find out more about what you're doing? I would recommend heading over to gestaltit.com. You can also find me on Twitter at sfoskett. And I am also at gestaltit.com with some great reviews of some presentations that have been happening at Techfield Day over the last couple of months. You can tune into my Twitter feed at Networking Nerd for a little bit of elastic snarkiness, if you so choose. And if you want to follow all the great stuff we do at Gestalt IT, you can also follow us at Gestalt IT. Uh, for this week, for myself, for Mr. Stephen Foskett, and for everyone in the Gestalt IT family, we're wishing you and yours to have a very super sparkly day.